seated. If you have your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 2 this morning. You can pull out your bulletin, pull out your sermon notes, you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. Everything that's on the screens will be in your handheld device. If you're watching us uh, through our live stream today, welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us from wherever you are. We had two weeks ago a meeting for an Israel trip that we're taking in early 2020. Had 40 or 50 people going over our itinerary for Israel. It'll be our church's eighth trip that we've taken to Israel. And we got to the end of the meeting and Pastor Scott, who was leading the meeting, said, does anyone have any questions? And several people raised their hand and I was standing in the back of the room and I thought, here it is. Because this question is asked at the end of every Israel meeting that we've ever had. I don't know that we'll ever have an Israel meeting where this question is not asked. The first question is always this, is it safe? Um, Is it safe to go? If you watch the news, if you read the papers, that's a great question to ask about the Middle East. Is it safe? Can we go there? Um, If you're wondering that, maybe you say, I don't know that I could ever go to Israel because I don't think it's safe. To me, it's one of the safest places. I've been seven times. I've ever been. I always feel safer in Israel than every major American city that I've ever been to. But yeah, we, we believe that Israel is safe. But that question is telling. Because that question is a question we will raise our hands and ask in a meeting about Israel. But I believe it's a question that we ask about every area of life. As a matter of fact, there are some lonely single adults sitting in the room today, maybe watching online, who are struggling to engage in friendships And who have pledged to never engage in a relationship again because they don't know if it's safe. There are some couples in our church who are dating, maybe living together. And the reason they're not getting married is that question. They're not sure if it's safe. There are some young moms who are scared to death to send their kids to kindergarten next year. Because they're not sure if it's safe. And there are some older moms who are afraid to send their kids to college because... They're not sure if it's safe. And there are still other moms. See how I didn't say older? Even though this third group is a little older, I'm trying to be respectful to the moms in our room. There are still other moms who have fully grown adult children. And every day you're looking at their lives and families and wondering if they're okay. You're wondering if they're safe. There are some teenagers in the room who are worried about college, where they're going to go to college. And there are college students who really feel like after two or three years in their major that they should change their major because what they thought they wanted to do, they don't want to do anymore. But they're both going to struggle to make decisions on where to go and what major to change to because they're wondering, is that safe at this stage of my life? There are still other graduates who just continue to get more degrees because they feel like school is safer than the real work world. Many of you last week didn't make the drive to church based on that question. Is it safe? Right? We had a horrible weather and a threat of more horrible weather to come. It's a question that drives every decision we make. Is it safe? Maybe we could shift the question a little bit. Here's what people are asking. Will, will, will I be safe? Am I, am I going to be at peace? Will I be okay if I go over there? To feel safe, to be at peace, really plays a huge role in every decision that we ever make in life and family And work. It is kind of the core thing that we always evaluate. Is this going to be safe? Will I be at peace? Yet, even though we vet everything through that process, not a lot of us would say today that we are are living at peace, that we are totally at peace, which is why this month at Journey, we're going to be in a series called The Prince, and we're going to be studying about Jesus, who is called the Prince of Peace, and we're going to be trying to figure out how we can take this world that we live in and try this Christmas season to find peace, if it's even possible. The title of our Bible study today is 
honestly, Christian, with everything going on in the world, with everything going on at school, with everything going on in our community, with everything going on in my family, is peace even possible this Christmas? I believe it is. And we're going to look all month long at how to find that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, reading the story of the night Jesus was born. Before we do that, can we bow our heads real quick? This is God's word, I believe, written to God's people. So would you just take a deep breath? Would you kind of clear out everything you've been thinking about on your way to church, everything you have to do after church, and just live in the moment now of God speaking? Would you just whisper a prayer from your heart to heaven, ask God to speak to you, to specifically show you where you're struggling with peace, and to show you how to have peace? Speak to us, Lord, as we study about the Prince of Peace. Show us how to, how, how to find peace this Christmas season. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Luke chapter 2 starts this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David... Because he belonged to the house and to the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were told that peace had come to earth. My question is, has it come to your house yet? And has it come to your heart yet? Is it even possible for you this Christmas season, this December, December 2018, to be at peace, to live at peace, to feel peace? Because it didn't feel very possible in the story that we just read. This is a Bible story that we kind of read through the lens of, you know, maybe the play that we were involved in as a kid, whether we were one of the shepherds or one of the angels, or we got to walk in or stand by one of the animals. This is something we process as a Christmas story, but we don't often place ourselves in the story and realize that this is not a story about peace. This is a story about great problems to peace that actually ends with a promise of peace. And maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, you know, I don't think this year Christmas is going to be a peaceful holiday because here are all the problems that are going on in and around my world right now. My hope for you is that the problems in your life will appear smaller than the promise of Jesus in your life and the peace that he wants to offer you by the end of the month as we start our journey to find peace at Christmas 
We start where Luke's story starts, and he talks to us about the problems before he talks to us about the peace. Let's look at three of these, and then let's look at the promise. Peace problem number one. I don't know if you noticed it, but it jumped off the pages for those of you who really, really love history. There was a lack of peace in the world that really kind of puts a damper on this story. Some of you say, I don't know that I could ever be at peace. Have you turned on the news? Do you read the paper? Do you get the updates on your phone? How can we ever be at peace? Do you see what's going on in the world? In Jesus' days, there was a big peace problem. There was a lack of peace in the world. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. In those days, if you have a pen or a highlighter, you might circle those days. We're going to talk about them in a minute. Caesar Augustus, you might underline his name too. We'll talk about him. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census, you might underline that. We'll talk about that should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So what do we learn about the world in these days, in those days? You say, when are those days? This was the beginning of the Roman Empire. Rome had been a republic for about 120 years. It had now become an empire, which began the generation before Jesus was born in 31 BC. So 25 to 30 years before Jesus was born, the Roman Republic was born. This was one of the bloodiest generations in the history of the world. As a matter of fact, it capped nearly a thousand years of really bloody history in the Middle East. At about a thousand years old, Egypt was really powerful in the 700s. Assyria was really powerful in the 600s. The Babylonians conquered them and they were really powerful in the 500s. The Medes and the Persians conquered them and they were really powerful in the 350 BCs. Greece conquered everyone and they were really powerful and then their kingdom kind of splintered into four and along 150 BC or so Rome came along and it conquered everyone. You could bet on it if you lived in the time of Jesus that even if you were a free man in the time of Jesus, within three years, your great, great grandkids would be slaves in someone else's empire. You could bet on it. It just was the bloodiest, most tumultuous time of ruling world powers in the ancient history of the world. And now it was Caesar Augustus's turn. You say, who is he? He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Caesar didn't, Julius Caesar didn't have any sons. He was a great nephew of Julius Caesar who was adopted by Julius Caesar and made heir to his throne, which he took by defeating Mark Antony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium on September 2nd, 31 BC. Rome would go from being a republic to an empire at this time, and Caesar Augustus would bring what they called the Pax Romana across the known world, the peace of Rome. He was giving credit for making Rome be at peace, but what this Roman emperor really brought was not the peace of Rome, but the peace of the world by ordering a census that would kind of kick off a series of events which had been prophesied for more than 600 years. Now you say, what was the purpose of the census? The Roman Caesars would take a census for two reasons. It's really interesting. We have recorded, written history in museums all over the world of every Roman census that was taken from AD 20 to AD 270. Written documents of these. They would take them every 7 to 14 years. Everyone would have to go to the town, basically where their great-great-granddad was from, and they would have to register that they were alive and living and where they lived. You say, why would they do this? A great kind of picture of secular history and biblical history lining up once again. Why did they do this? Two reasons. One, so they could tax people. They needed to know who was where and how many there were because they needed to know how much money they could take from them. That was the biggest reason they 
did the census so they could learn how to tax people. The second reason was so that they could draft more men to war. They would do a census. They could find out how many people were over the age of 20. They needed to know where they lived. And when they went to war, they would go and get them. Now, the Jews, because they were a religious nation, had a religious exemption. And their men did not have to fight in the war. But they were taxed and taxed heavily. They were actually part of a region called Palestine that was part of a region called Syria. And they were a nation that were basically slaves like most of the other Roman Empire to the people of Rome. The Jews didn't fight, but they weren't at peace. Thankfully, having peace at Christmas is not dependent on world peace. Or no one in Jesus' day would have had it. And no one in our day would have had it. Maybe you've kind of said, you know, when everything in the world kind of settles down, I think I'll be able to have peace. That's probably not going to happen. But thankfully, having peace at Christmas is not dependent on world peace. If it was, Jesus could have never had peace, but he stepped right into the midst of this world and he brought peace, but that wasn't his only problem. He also had peace problem number two. There was a lack of peace within families. Some of you say, I don't even pay attention to what's going on in the world. I don't even care about it because things at home are so crazy. I don't even have time to watch TV in the first place. This first Christmas, we see a lack of peace within a very important nuclear family. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was experiencing a child. Note, that's not the order that those things normally happened in in Israel 2,000 years ago. That you would be engaged, not yet married, and expecting a child. I have a friend who in August put his 18-year-old daughter on an airplane to send her to college. He sent her to college far across the country, thousands of miles from where they lived. When she landed in that foreign city, in that foreign place, she was picked up by a boy, a friend that she had met who lived in that state on a mission trip about six months earlier. They had become friends on the mission trip, unbeknownst to the mom and dad or anyone else. They had started a romantic relationship that kind of became sexual through, through text messaging and all the social media apps that they have between the mission trip and when she went to school. And he picked her up at the airport. And before he took her and dropped her off at school, they stopped off someplace and they were intimate. And three weeks later, she was pregnant. And she called my friend's mom and dad and said, I'm pregnant. And of course, they said, by who? And she had to introduce them to a whole new area of their life. You can't imagine how it threw their world upside down. Now go backwards 2,000 years and play that scenario out in a culture where if that happened, it was legal to kill both the boy and the girl who were involved in that practice. This was a mess. This was a mess that brought huge tension to their family. As a matter of fact, we're introduced to a couple in Luke chapter 2 who was together primarily because God told them to stay together. Maybe that describes your marriage today. Maybe you were married to your husband, not because you love him, but because you love God. You feel like God wants you to stay married. Maybe you are married to your wife, not because you're so in love with your wife anymore, but because you feel like that's what God wants you to do. If that's you and that's the season that you're living in, let me introduce you to Mary and Joseph, who were on the cusp of divorce, but God said, no, stay together. And they said, okay. And Matthew 1, here's what happens with Joseph when he finds out that his fiance is pregnant. 
He knows it's not his. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Matthew 1.18 says, His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that means sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what, in, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 says, when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home to be his wife. We see a young family who had so much tension that they were on the verge of divorce, but God said, no, stay together and just trust me that it'll all work out. And they said, oh, okay, that's the family we're introduced to in Luke chapter two. Maybe, maybe that's your family. Maybe your family is just kind of staying together right now, just hoping that somewhere in the future, God is going to, he's just going to make it all work out. Maybe the reality this Christmas is you can't have peace because you're living through the greatest season of tension in your marriage and your family and your relationships that you have ever had in your life. And you say, as long as that exists, peace can't come. Or maybe it's not the greatest season, but maybe just the latest great season of tension that you have with your family. In March, we'll hold our marriage retreat, and those of you who are there will be introduced to Danielle and my friends, Justin and Tricia Davis. Justin is a pastor in Indianapolis, and their story is incredible. He was a church planner in Indianapolis who planted a church, and after planting and growing a very successful church, he had an affair with one of their staff members who was his wife's best friend. And you can imagine how they were repelled out of that church, repelled out of that city, Forced with their children to move to new schools, to do new things. Yet, they felt like God wanted them to fight for their marriage. Even in the midst of this, Trisha said, I felt like God wanted me to fight for my marriage. So for over four years, a lot of that time living separately, they talked with friends, they got in counseling, they got in a great church, and they fought to make things work. And after five years, decided we're going to stay together. And not only are we going to stay together, but we're going to teach the world about grace and forgiveness and love and second chances. And they felt called to go back to the city where they were exposed and plant another church in the same town. And they are there now pastoring another booming, growing church with a story of we messed everything up, but God helped us hold everything together. They've written a book called Beyond Ordinary that talks about if you want to have a bad marriage, aim for ordinary. If you want to have a good marriage, you got to aim for extraordinary. They'll be sharing at our marriage retreat in March. A lot of you need to be there because you're them. You're Mary and Joseph. And you're saying, I don't think we can have peace as long as our marriage is where it's at. But, but here's the reality of Christmas this year. Having peace this Christmas is not dependent on family peace. If it was, then the angels could not have said what they said that night, that Jesus meant peace on earth because there was not peace in this little family of Mary and Joseph. And I think we're going to find out even more of the extended family I don't know that actually family peace is ever possible in any family that has more than one person. I mean, if you are your own family and you've got a really good dog and you've not had any, any, any wounds from your past and you plan to have no interactions in the future, you might be able to have a family that is always at peace. But for the rest of us, it's going to take Jesus to kind of smooth off some of the rough edges of our life. There was a problem of families that weren't at peace. And then there was number three, peace problem number three, there was a lack of peace within the community. There was a lack of peace in the community that, that should have kept peace from coming to earth, at least in this area. Look at verses five through seven in Luke chapter two. 
It says, Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room. That is a really bad American picture of this scene in Bethlehem. There was no guest room available for them. Last Sunday, I was at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. It's the largest church in America. They had 70,000 people in attendance last Sunday across 18 campuses. We were not there because we want to learn how to have a church of 70,000 people. I would have to be put into an insane asylum if that were the case. We were there to learn their discipleship method. So we got to sit in their discipleship classes, and we said, teach us how you teach people to walk with Jesus. That's what we're really curious about. So Pastor Ryan and I were there. One of our elders was there and another family from our church. And we were supposed to fly out of Birmingham after church to come home, but apparently y'all had some snow last Sunday afternoon. So our flight got canceled. We thought, this is no good. We, get, we gotta get to church with some really important things to be home for on Monday. All of us had young kids kind of who were on their own. So we said, we, we gotta figure out another plan. So we, we rebooked our flights out of Atlanta and took off driving from Birmingham to Atlanta and got an hour into that drive when they canceled our flight out of Atlanta. And we pulled our rental cars over to the side of the road and said, what do we do? And our only option was to drive home. So we just had to turn the cars around and we just said, we'll just go until we can't go anymore. We drove through Alabama and then Mississippi and Tennessee and parts of Arkansas. And we pulled into a place called West Plains, Missouri, a place I've never been. I don't plan to ever go back. Um, but there, but like, there, was a, there was a brand new Hampton Inn on the side of the highway. I mean, just as we were approaching midnight, and it was like, we should probably stop and sleep for a few hours and then get on the road as early as we can again. And thank God there was room in the inn for us. A lot of people picture the story of Mary and Joseph pulling into Bethlehem on their donkey and the Holiday Inn is full and the Hampton Inn is full and the Fairfield Marriott is full. That is not the picture of guest room. We know from studying history that ancient towns who would host people, they would put large kind of things in the middle of the town for the animals to feed and get water at. But the way towns hosted people was anyone who had an empty bedroom would give it up to one of their guests. They would wait at the town square until all the visitors had a room. If, if they had to, you would sleep outside so somebody else could sleep inside. So the fact when we read the term no guest room, this doesn't refer to a hotel that was sold out, but to a community that was closed to ancient hospitality. There was no one in that town who saw someone nine months pregnant and said, you know what? All stay outside, you stay inside. More than that, I want you to think now. Every person Joseph was related to over the age of 20, where were they? Anybody? Bethlehem. They were all there. Rome said they had to go. All of his cousins, all of his uncles, his dad if he was alive, his brothers if he had any, every relative of his over the age of 20, would have been there too. And are you telling me no one could knock on a door and find room, find a room for this pregnant lady who was going to give birth that night? We see in Bethlehem a community so concerned with itself that it either didn't recognize that someone else was need was in need or it didn't defer to a need greater than its own. Those are your only two options. And I want to be honest, I don't believe we live in a community that doesn't care about people. I love our schools. I love our law enforcement. I love the places we get to shop and eat at. I am convinced we have a community that cares about people. However, 
I also believe we have a community that sometimes it's so busy doing its own thing that it never recognizes when someone else in the community is in need or when it does, it does not have the margin to defer what it's going through to serve someone else who might be going through more. In that way, sometimes we can look a whole lot like Bethlehem. And it's hard to live in a community like that when you're hurting, but thankfully, at Christmas, we learn once again having peace at Christmas isn't, depending on, isn't dependent on living in a peaceful community. Having peace isn't dependent on having great neighbors. Having peace isn't dependent on someone always being aware of your needs and putting your needs in front of their needs. If, if it was, then there's no way Jesus could have brought peace at Christmas, but he did. Because it, into all of these peace problems, the world is going crazy. Families might be at each other's throat. The community doesn't care about anyone more than it cares about itself. Into all these problems steps a promise. And here is the peace promise. In spite of all the problems, peace can be found in Jesus. In spite of all the problems, peace would be found. Peace could be found. Peace can be found in Jesus, according to the angels. And look at what they said in Luke 2, verses 13 through 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. Where did they appear? You say, in the sky. No, no, no. They appeared in a world filled with trouble. They appeared to families who were not at peace. They appeared in a community that might have cared about people, but only after it had finished caring for itself. And here's what they said. The host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. So glory to God in heaven. Okay, we'll agree with that. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And they say, I agree with the glory to God in heaven. I'm sure God has glory in heaven. But peace on earth? Man, I don't know. Jesus says, yes, peace on earth can be yours. Because Jesus chose to step into a messy world. Now, notice what he did not do. Jesus did not pull all of his people out of the messy world to give them peace. He stepped into the mess with them. And him arriving on the scene didn't clean up the mess but it gave them peace in their heart. See, Jesus would bring peace through the addition of his presence, not the subtraction of our problems. And that's why most of us fail to be at peace. We have the equation wrong. We think when the community is finally at peace, I'll be at peace. We think when all the tension in my family and with my marriage, when my marriage is at peace, I'm at peace. We think when everything in the world kind of calms down a little bit, I'll be at peace. But the Bible speaks to a world where the problems do not go away, but in the midst of them, peace is possible through Jesus. Here's the equation. Add Jesus to any problem, and the problem does not disappear, but peace appears. Take any problem that you have. And add Jesus to it, and the problem might not disappear, but peace will appear. You say, I want to find peace this Christmas. You have to find and walk with Jesus. I love how the prophet Isaiah says it in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, and then in verse 5, when he talks about the peace that Jesus brings in the midst of problems. Here's what he says, but now this is what the Lord says according to Isaiah 43, This is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you 
are mine. When you pass through the waters, it's a picture of Israel going through their biggest trial that they had ever experienced, passing through the Red Sea. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, it was a picture of Israel 40 years later passing through the Jordan River to finally go take control of the promised land that God had given them. When you pass through the the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, for us, we have a picture of Daniel and his friends in the, uh, Daniel and his friends in, uh, in the fiery furnace. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. The prophet said, God wants you to know the problems in your life are still going to exist. But it's going to be okay because he's going to be with you in those promised areas. When, when things pile up on either side of your life so high that you feel like they're going to crush you, at that point you don't have to be afraid because Jesus will be with you. When obstacles continue to get in between you and the promise that you feel called to, you don't have to worry about that. The obstacles are going to be there, but Jesus says, I will walk with you through the obstacles so that you can have peace. When the trials of your life make you feel like your life is being set on fire, don't worry. He doesn't say, I'll come with a fire extinguisher. He says, I'll stand with you in the fire and you will be okay. There's this promise of peace for those who will walk with Jesus. In a world dwarfed by massive problems, the promise of peace is bigger than the presence of problems. And it comes as a child. In Isaiah chapter 9, this prophet that teaches us so much about future Christianity says to us, for to us, a child is born. And to us, A son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And what's the last part of it here? The Prince of Peace. It's our December series, The Prince. Do you know him? Do you have him? Are you walking with him and letting him give you peace? Having peace this Christmas is possible. It's possible if you'll walk closely with Jesus. If peace is dependent on the world, probably not going to happen. If peace is dependent on everything in family being great, probably not going to happen. If peace is dependent on the community all caring about each other in a perfect way, probably not going to happen. But if peace is dependent upon Jesus, the angel said, everyone who has Jesus has peace. And if you have the son, you have the prince of peace. I want you to have peace this Christmas. I want you to find peace this Christmas. Say, Christian, how how am I supposed to do that? Well, if you're a Christian, that's going to come by walking closely with Jesus. Because Jesus is peace, but his peace is in his person. And if you are not connected to him personally, you will not feel his power. His peace is in his person. His power is in his person. So stay close to Jesus and you'll have everything he has. Get distanced and you won't feel it. You say, how do I do that? For those of you who aren't currently walking with Jesus well or you just need a great plan, inside your bulletin I've put what's called the peace plan. It's for December 2018. I want you to learn how to walk with Jesus. I want to give you some easy tools to walk with Jesus this month 
Because if you will walk, if you will walk with Jesus, if you have Jesus, you will have peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Four steps to this peace plan. Step one, I want you to read his story. Read his story. Read about who he is. In the Gospel of Luke, the good news of Jesus written through Luke, there are 24 chapters to Jesus' story. If you start today, December 2, reading one chapter of his story, it'll take three to five minutes. If you start today and take three to five minutes every day the rest of this month, on Christmas morning, you will open your Bible and you will read the last chapter of Luke, which tells you about Jesus leaving earth to go to heaven to prepare a place for you. On the day you celebrate Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth to provide salvation for you, you will close the loop and read about him going back to heaven to await for you there. And you'll know everything he did in between. Read his story. If you have a Bible reading plan you're currently in, don't worry about it. But if you say, I just... I would like to walk with God. I don't know how. Read the book of Luke one chapter at a time this month. Step two, I want you to learn to talk to Jesus about your peace problems. I have put five very simple, four very simple prayers and one kind of thing on day five to do here. How when you're struggling with something going on in the world, you can just say, Jesus, give me peace there. Struggling with something in your family, Jesus, give me peace there. Struggling with something in the community, Jesus, give me peace there. Seeing someone who's struggling with any of these things, Jesus, make me an example to them so they might have peace. And then on the fifth day of the week, at least five days a week, communicate with Jesus. Make one of those being at church on Sunday. Step three, you say, I want to walk with Jesus. You cannot walk very far with him until you've been baptized. So I want to challenge you, if you're a Christian and you've not yet been baptized, follow Jesus' example in baptism. December 16th are our next baptisms. Here's what you need to understand as a Christian. If you take Jesus by the hand and walk with him, the first thing he is going to do is lead you through the water. Just like God did with Israel, just like God did with Joshua. You say, I'm a Christian and I walk with Jesus, but I've not been baptized. Listen, the steps of walking with Jesus are like a staircase. At the bottom of a staircase is a huge landing where you can walk around in circles forever. But you cannot get to step two unless you go up step one. And step one is baptism. You have to be baptized. You say, I want to walk with Jesus. You need to understand you're going to get wet. He's going to take your hand. And on the first step of life with him, you're going to pass through the waters just like Israel did, just like Joshua did. You're going to pass through the waters, but he's going to be with you. So I want to challenge you. Get baptized. Last month, we baptized one of the greatest volunteers in our church. His name's Dave. And when we read his story, I read his story, and I thought, man, how many hundreds of people in our church have this story? Here was part of his story on the day that he got baptized. For years, I've known I needed to profess my faith publicly and be baptized, but I've not done it. For years, I've not done this one act of obedience, even though I know it's God's will for me. For years, I've had a relationship with Christ But I've done some things on my own and haven't trusted the Lord in every area of my life. For years, I have had consistency issues with my faith. Baptism is a sign of new life. It's a date and time. It's a clean slate. It's a moment in life signifying that I give all to Jesus. Some of you, for years, have been walking around on the landing to the steps that lead you to a relationship with Jesus. And you need to be baptized this month. Say, I want peace. If you want peace, you have to walk hand in hand with Jesus. You're going to hold his hand. You're going to get wet if you walk with him more than one or two steps. Inside your bulletin is a baptism card where you can sign up. I think there's a link if you're following along on the notes. If you're a technological person, you can text two words, Journey Baptism, to 474747. But if you want to get to step two, you need to go by step one. You say, I want peace. You need Jesus. But followers of Jesus, get baptized. Don't wait anymore. 
And then step number four is this one. And I hope it's a challenge that all of you will take. I want to challenge you to meditate on a peace promise. I want to ask you to memorize a Bible verse. That's what I'm asking you to do. Memorize a Bible verse. And here's the Bible verse, Isaiah 26, 3. I believe it's the answer to every question when you ask, will I be safe? Can I be safe? If I choose to get engaged in friendships again with people, even though I've been hurt in the past, can I be safe? Great question. As a single adult, if I choose to start dating again, as a divorced mom or dad, if I choose to start dating again, can that be safe? It's a great question. As a parent growing up in a generation of school shootings, is it safe to send my kids to school? It's a great question. As a parent raising your kids in church in a generation where most kids who go to college, 85% of them walk away from their faith, is it safe to send our kids to college? Great question. Those are all great questions, but there is a great promise for every one of those questions, and it's this. God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in him. Do you want to have perfect peace? I do. God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, people who continually think about and walk with Jesus because they learn how to trust him. I want you to trust him, so I want to challenge you to memorize that verse because if you do, all those questions you keep asking, is it safe, is it safe, are my kids safe, is my marriage safe, this verse will find its way to the top of your soul. When you're asking, can I have peace? This verse will continue to just kind of develop in your soul and let you know if you focus on him and trust him, yes, you can have peace. In a world full of trouble, you can have peace. In a family where peace is lacking, you can have peace. In a community that's too busy to see that you're hurting, you can have peace. If you're a Christian, you can do it by walking with Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you can do it by trusting Jesus. You can open up your heart and life and say, I've been waiting on everything else in the world to give me peace, but there's only one who claims to be the Prince of Peace, Jesus, and I need him. If you've not opened up your life and your heart to follow him, if you've not heard God saying, this is what you need, but you're hearing that today, say yes. Say yes, take his hand, and begin walking in life with the Prince of Peace. Would you pray with me?